Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God the Father and from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God, which we will consider this Good Friday evening, is recorded in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53. There we read verses 5 and 6 as follows in Jesus' name. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. These are the words. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Savior, dear fellow redeemed Good Friday worshipers, those among you who are historians of Major League Baseball probably know who Wally Pipp is. Wally Pipp played first base for the New York Yankees many years ago. And then on June 2nd, 1925, just before a game, Wally was taking batting practice and he got hit on the head and he got knocked out. His substitute in the starting lineup that day was a young rookie by the name of Lou Gehrig, who went on to set a major league record for consecutive baseball games played without missing any, 2,130 games in a row. Not so many people remember Wally Pipp, but his substitute that day became world famous. Lou Gehrig is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Our text this Good Friday has to do with the subject of substitution. A lesser used word that goes along with substitution is vicarious. Our theme this Good Friday evening is the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ. As our holy substitute, Jesus Christ suffered vicarious punishment and he died a vicarious death. In that word vicarious, we see the word vicar. Once in a while here at Mount Olive over the years, we've occasionally called a vicar. As part of their training, a vicar is a seminary student who uh, becomes more familiar with the work of of, uh, the pastor. And he does this before becoming an ordained pastor. The word vicar means substitute. During his time spent at that church, the vicar will occasionally substitute for the pastor in making hospital visits and house visits, teaching classes, preaching sermons, conducting the liturgy. In a way, all pastors are vicars, no matter how many years they may have served in the public ministry, for every pastor is called to be a substitute, a substitute for Jesus in teaching and preaching his word from the pulpit and in the classroom 
and in private counseling. Each one is called to carry on and to carry out Christ's work among their congregations. But when it comes to substitutes and their vicarious work, not one could ever compare with the greatest and most needed substitute of all, our Savior, Jesus. Isaiah writes, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. We're familiar with the gospel accounts. We just heard them read, which show us Jesus being pierced with nails which attached him to the cross. And we see him crushed from the beatings he took and by the heavy wooden beam that he was forced to carry along the way to Golgotha. And here, Isaiah tells us why. That this was for our transgressions, for our iniquities, our sins. What was the reason for this? The reason has to do with gaining heaven and avoiding hell. On our own, you know there's only one way to do that. As Jesus told the young man who came to him and asked him the way to get to heaven, Jesus said, if you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Don't just attempt to obey them. Don't just give it your most sincere effort at obedience. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But we have not done that, which means that the way to heaven is now blocked for us by our own rebellion, our own disobedience, our own sin. All of us must realize and admit that we have failed in living as God requires of us. Still, we can easily come up with some excuse for not doing this. We say things like, I'm not perfect, nobody is. We say, I told a lie, but everyone does that once in a while. But God doesn't accept such excuses. He makes no allowances when it comes to fulfilling his will, that is, his holy law. He says, in fact, through the prophet Ezekiel, the soul who sins is the one who will die. So if you are not perfect, if you have not offered flawless obedience to God's commandments, if you have sin in your heart and sin in your life, you must pay the consequences. And there's really no way out. Sinners must die eternally. Sin must be punished with death, for God is just. Isaiah goes on, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Like thoughtless sheep, we wander away on our own and we don't care to follow God's way. Instead, we might follow the way of the unbelieving world, thinking that no real harm will result from this, that God will surely overlook our envy, our lust, our gossip, and covetousness, and contempt and hatred. Yet in his word, God is so clear. Sin has to be punished. Don't be deceived, the apostle said. God is not mocked. If this was the end of the sermon tonight and the end of our Good Friday service, then this would hardly be a 
day worthy of calling good, this would be sad and frightening and miserable, wouldn't it? And yet, what does it also say in the words of our text? The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. It says the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God put on Jesus, his son, the punishment and the death that we all deserved. Does that seem unfair? You know, we hate to be blamed for the wrongs of other people. We protest loudly when we're being punished unfairly. And yet in the Bible, it says, God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus was perfectly and personally innocent in every way, but Scripture tells us God blamed him God charged him and punished him and demanded his life for your sins and for my sins. By human reasoning, of course, that doesn't seem fair. It seems completely unfair. But we thank God that in his grace and mercy, he laid the full punishment upon his son, our chosen substitute, Jesus willingly stepped in for us and willingly received the suffering and the death that we all deserved for our sins. You know that there were three crosses that were put up on that little hill outside of Jerusalem called Golgotha that day, Good Friday. The cross in the middle was intended to kill a man by the name of Barabbas. Remember that it was Pilate's custom to release a prisoner in Jerusalem during the celebration of the Passover. And usually, in a given year, there would have been, I suppose, many prisoners to select from. This year, though, the governor gave the crowd just two choices. Either Jesus, the innocent prophet from Nazareth, or Barabbas, probably the most hardened and dangerous criminal in his custody. Some have speculated that the two criminals who died on either side of Jesus were actually members of the same criminal gang, along with Barabbas. And as its leader, Barabbas surely belonged on the center cross with them. But we know the choice that the mob made that day. They shouted, let Jesus take the place of Barabbas. Crucify Jesus and let Barabbas go free. And you know, that's the last we hear of Barabbas. After he was released from jail, he must have slipped away into history's fog. We don't know what became of him and we don't know whether he even fully appreciated this amazing favor he'd been shown. But wouldn't it be nice to think that over time he came to love that substitute who made the vicarious sacrifice in his place for him that day that he came to realize his enormous debt of love to Christ. We just don't know. What we should know, however, is that all of us in some way, bear a striking resemblance to Barabbas. 
Are we willing to accept that designation? You know, God's law operates deep down in us, in our conscience, so that we must admit to being rebels against God's decrees. By our hatred of other people, we rightly carry before God the label murderer. By our greed, we rightly carry that label robber. By our lust, we rightly carry the label adulterer. And the Lord doesn't look the other way at any of these sins. Again, we all like sheep have gone astray. You and I are convicted together by that little word, all. Before God's throne of justice, not one of us could hide behind Barabbas and say, look God, he must be much worse than me. Thanks and praise be to our merciful Father. He provided for us, each of us, a, su a substitute, and it is the same one Barabbas had long ago. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities because Jesus took our place in vicariously receiving our punishment and our death. We have the forgiveness of all of our sins. Through faith in Jesus, we have that forgiveness as our own. And God looks upon us as though we've never sinned. He counts us as though we ourselves have paid for our sin. The vicarious atonement of Jesus, that's the centerpiece of our thoughts on this Good Friday. Vicarious is a beautiful word, isn't it? Vicarious atonement simply means Jesus died for me. May God give me the grace to simply respond, I'll trust in him to the end. I'll live my life for him. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forevermore. Amen.